0: so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com.
1: So Magecart is really a word that is used to describe a just a whole category of criminal organizations that skim credit card information from the payment pages of websites.
0: That's Dan Woods. He's VP at Shape Securities Intelligence Center. Before joining Shape Security, Dan served as Assistant Chief Agent of Special Investigations at the Arizona Attorney General's Office. And prior to that, 20 years in federal law enforcement with the CIA and the FBI.
1: The way it works is anytime your browser loads a payment page you know, and this is the page that where you enter your, your name, your billing address, your credit card number, expiration, CVV, and so on. There's a lot of JavaScript that loads in the background. Some of these payment pages have, you know, 10, 15, 20 different JavaScript files that all load. What Magecart refers to is the uh, criminal organizations attempt to modify one or more of those JavaScript files so that when it's loaded, it is doing something malicious. Specifically, it is taking all the information entered into the payment page and uh, serializing it into an array and then sending it to some drop site where the criminal organization can then uh, exploit it. So, uh, it's really just making changes to the payment page, to the JavaScript that the, uh, the owners of the website aren't aware of and uh, over time as customers enter in their payment information into that payment page it is uh, siphoned off and sent to the criminal organization for exploitation
0: and so the payment page itself continues to function as as the uh,
1: the owner expects it would it does in fact uh, even if you looked at the javascript being loaded the criminal organizations have Gone through great lengths to make sure that their JavaScript, their changes to that JavaScript, uh, kind of blend in with the existing JavaScript. And we're talking about 20, 25 lines of code. It's not yeah. much. And uh, like the the drop site where they will send this information will oftentimes um, closely parallel the victim website. Uh, so in the British Airways example. Um, You know, British Airways is the domain or is is the website, and the drop site was baways.com. So uh, and uh, victim after victim after victim, the URL of the drop site uh, tries to closely match that of the victim organization. So it takes a really trained eye to look at those JavaScript files and identify that malicious changes uh, have been made.
0: And by what methods are they going in and making the changes to the JavaScript files?
1: Well, oftentimes these JavaScript files are created by third parties and even hosted by third parties. So they'll attempt to compromise those third parties. Uh, So in the uh, British Airways example, I think it was uh, a JavaScript file served by uh, something called Modernizer. Uh, Mm. That they were able to make changes to so then when the British Airways site loaded that JavaScript file It also loaded the changes that the criminal organization introduced So not making changes to the British Airways infrastructure But to third parties that the British Airways infrastructure relies upon
0: now when someone who has fallen victim to this um, finds out that their website has been compromised. I mean, how, how does that usually play out? What, what are, are there indications? At what point do they know they have a problem?
1: Well, you know, it depends on the uh, the level of attention that these organizations are paying to the runtime environment. In uh, Clarity, uh, there's an organization, Clarity Connect, that was also targeted by a MageCard. The administrators noticed that the changes had been made to the JavaScript file, so they removed it, and then uh, they were subsequently uh, added again, and they removed it again. Hmm. So what happened is the, the bad actor sent a message to the... Uh, to the administrators, uh, something like, uh, if you will delete my code one more time, I will encrypt all your sites, you very bad admins. Uh, so, you know, it's it all depends on the level of attention that the victim site is is paying to the runtime environment. So the, the lesson here, if you're going to protect yourself from Magecart, uh, you need to monitor your runtime environment And uh, if there are any changes, then alerts need to be fired so people can look at those changes and make sure they're authorized.
0: Can can we dig into that a little bit? Can you can you describe to us what what does that process entail?
1: Well, what happens is you know Magecart and other malware like it they they must you know hook into the same browser APIs that the legitimate developers do. So when they do that, they're creating a signal or an anomaly that. Are detectable but you have to be you know looking for it in order to detect it
0: and is is that some of the the types of uh, tools that you provide at shape
1: indeed right that uh, anything that negatively impacts our customers uh, these are problems that we are attempting to solve including protection against Magecart and malware like it
0: well let's move on to uh, Genesis can you give us a description what are we dealing with here
1: yeah Genesis is an online marketplace it 's not even on the you know dark web it 's uh, anybody can point their browser to it um, and it 's meant to defeat the we don 't recognize your device countermeasure that is implemented using browser fingerprinting and i'm hmm. sure you've encountered that before when you go to log into your bank from a new browser it says you know we don 't recognize your your browser we don 't recognize your device and then a second factor of authentication is typically triggered well you know fraudsters you know uh, that's an obstacle to them so they've come up right. with you know a, wee, a, a way of uh, circumventing that so what happens is you have uh, malware that is sitting on you know a victim's machine and it's collecting not just usernames and passwords but it's collecting all the attributes that are used to generate browser fingerprints so things like you know browsing history screen size uh, cookies A lot of the attributes that a browser fingerprinting countermeasure would use to generate that browser fingerprint Mm. is all being collected by the malware and sent up to the Genesis marketplace. Mm. And then a bad actor uh, will use a Chromium-based browser and uh, a Genesis security plugin. And what, what the Genesis security plugin will do is take all that information collected by the malware and turn the, uh, the Chromium-based browser into a close replica of the victim's browser. You know, and there are probably, the last time I checked, over 180,000 of these, uh, well, Genesis Marketplace calls them bots, but they're not really bots, they're, it's kind of a misnomer. It's just a collection of usernames, passwords, and uh, browser attributes, cookies, um, associated with a victim machine and uh, about 180,000 of these up there. And that may not seem like a lot, but keep in mind when you buy one, it is removed from the marketplace. And I've uh, just randomly grabbed 10 or 20 of these bots to see how long they stay on the marketplace. And they're typically gone within a few weeks, you know, sold to somebody. So Hmm. 180,000 of these so-called bots translates to millions of compromised machines, uh, collecting Usernames, passwords, and browser attributes every few weeks—it's being, you know, kind of recycled throughout the marketplace.
0: And then, so, the the notion here is that it's it's one step that they can use to try to uh, circumvent, say, a call for a second factor in authentication.
1: That's correct, and uh, it's it's pretty effective, uh, meaning that the information that it collects to uh, uh, from the vic- victim's machine isn't uh, just the information needed to generate a browser fingerprint. It has virtually everything about that environment that the bad actor needs in order to uh, circumvent that countermeasure.
0: And again, in terms of prevention, if if I want to keep these sorts of uh, bits of information from being harvested from my machine, what are your recommendations?
1: Well, you know, we we protect our customers from Genesis by uh, detecting it, um uh, in the data that we collect we know when genesis is being used Uh, but from an individual's perspective how they protect themselves is uh, simply by not uh, clicking uh, links arbitrarily you know a lot of these this malware is installed as people are just you know visiting questionable sites clicking links um, downloading email attachments and executing them without being cautious it's a tough problem to solve because generally um, the, the typical user is rather careless when it comes to their computer security countermeasures.
0: You know, before I, I wrap up with you, I want to, um, to talk a little bit about, uh, some of your background. You have an interesting, uh, professional history. Uh, you spent, uh, time at, in the Arizona attorney general's office. You, you had a lot of, uh, fraud investigation there. Can you take us through, what was that experience like?
1: before the attorney general's office i worked uh, as an fbi agent in mm-hmm. washington dc and i loved that job it was a great job but there was always the you know risk that you could be you know transferred to a field office that wasn't conducive to your, you know, personal family life. What mm. I liked about the attorney general's office, it was just like my job at the FBI. That is, I was investigating white collar crime and fraud and computer tampering, money laundering, the kinds of things I love to investigate. But there was no chance that I could be transferred to, you know, some other state. It was uh, <laughs> I could just uh, focus on my work and have a good family family life.
0: And so what kinds of things were you tackling there, but particularly in in the cyber domain?
1: Well, um, a lot of the computer tampering cases that uh, I investigated involved uh, typically a rogue IT person who would Hmm. uh, exceed uh, his or her access or uh, authorized access in order to do something malicious Um, and then you know one thing that uh, I learned early on in my career is that even though you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an engineer by computer engineer by education. And uh, oftentimes people say, you know, computer engineering and law enforcement don't seem to overlap. So how, why did you study computer engineering and then go into law enforcement? And it actually does overlap quite a lot. It isn't just computer tampering and computer hacking cases that require technical skills. Uh, I probably use my my engineering education and my computer Expertise on every single case, um, whether it be a drug case or uh, you know it could it could have been a burglary, uh, because oftentimes these cases uh, involve digital evidence and uh, like a computer is seized and uh, emails are, are uh, extracted. So understanding email headers and how to uh, geolocate somebody, understanding um, the, you know how useful or useless an IP address can be in uh, I- attempting to identify the perpetrator, uh, all of these things are important for virtually every type of investigation, not just uh, computer crimes.
0: Now, from your perspective, the time you spent in all those investigations, are, are there areas where you think um, people are, are generally falling short? I mean, do you have uh, general advice from from the time you spent to sort of on the inside of those sorts of investigation, things that people should be doing that perhaps they're overlooking?
1: I think without fail, it's uh, leadership's, inability or, or unwillingness to give it the funding and uh, the priority that is needed. Um, hmm. it's, it's typically not funded well, not staffed with experts because they don't want to pay uh, for experts, and then they're victimized and they, and they wonder why. And You can see this play out across, I mean, just read the papers and you'll see the people with the very best cybersecurity posture, with the best staff, are typically those uh, who a few years earlier encountered huge breaches and lost you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, uh, in brand value because of uh, very public breaches. Unfortunately, people are waiting until there is a breach, until uh, their customers are victimized, until their brand is damaged before uh taking cybersecurity seriously
0: you know i i've i've heard in conversations i've had with other folks at the fbi that um a lot of times it's been their experience that people are hesitant to reach out to the fbi or law enforcement that uh you know they're embarrassed or they don't want the publicity but do you have any insights there is, is that is, is that a, a a good line of thinking or should they uh, overcome that and reach out
1: well i think they should overcome it and reach out but uh, fbi hasn't uh, helped itself uh, by you know those companies who do reach out there is often times, uh, you know, public uh, exposure of the information. So Hmm. FBI needs to do better at protecting, uh, you know, the companies that are coming forward and the companies uh, need to, I think, uh, come forward more often. So both are at fault there. Uh, I think one thing that companies can do more of that they're not doing is reaching out to their victims. Uh, For example, we talked about Genesis and, and the malware collecting all of these usernames and passwords. Well, right now, What customers uh, will do is just reset the password. Well, uh, that's kind of a fool's errand because there's malware on the victim's computer. Uh, The Mm. bad actor will just get the new password uh, once the malware collects it. So the better course of action is to reach out to the victim and say, hey, you have malware, on one of your computers, you know, we'd like to uh, get a copy of it so that we can understand it. Uh, we'd like to know, did you click on any links recently? Did you get any phishing emails or text messages? Uh, there's a lot of intelligence that could be gathered simply by reaching out to these victims. But uh, nobody's doing it. Um, they're just uh, continuing to reset passwords and, uh, and hope that, you know, the victim is, is protected.
0: Our thanks to Dan Woods from Shape Security for joining us. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. visit netskope.com The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond,